Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters, with your hosts, Brett Lindley and Walker Near. Walker is out this week, so I present a very special episode with the man who introduced me to gaming, my father. Hey, Dad. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I've yeah. been kind of uh, interested in this for a while. Yeah, uh, we have definitely talked about you. I have talked about you multiple times because I think in my life, you're definitely the person that really introduced me to video games. Um, I have a few memories of the ColecoVision. I have quite a few memories of like the Atari and playing Joust and when it burned up. And I think we made the... (laughs) No, I don't remember. What happened think, to Joust? Well, how did right? that happen there? I don't know. Um, I remember I like remember. The, the the Halloween suit that we made out of. I think it was the ColecoVision when it burned up. I we you made me a robot suit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we were using the uh, board off of that, the control board. Yeah. For part of the costume on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the yeah. the dryer vents the dryer bench for the arms oh yeah that was was i'll tell you what that was a quick throw together for me i loved it i loved it so much Uh, no well i i thought it was rather awkward i think you had a hard time with it though it It wasn't it was like very long the arms were pretty far out i was was not a big child (laughs) i i think that the uh the major brett outfit was much better the the space the The space space suit yeah, that the rocket. Was, you man. put a lot of work into that, and that I held on to that for ages. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that the, was the Rocket Man suit with the tanks on the back mm-hmm. and the helmet made out of like the the, yeah. the two liter bottles for yeah. that. And but you and, couldn't tell from looking at it. No, and you had put some kind of reinforcing straps over the shoulders or something, yeah. and yeah, and we paper mache it and painted it, and yeah, mm-hmm. that was just that was a blast. Yeah, but. From there, you we had gotten the computer, and I told the story about I, I remember the the year I don't remember exactly like which year, but I remember the year when the Atari something had happened to it, it burned up, mm-hmm. and you had asked us if we wanted like a Sega Master System and some games, and everybody get some gifts, or if we wanted everybody to pull the resources together and do a computer. Yeah, and actually, actually, I think I was really leaning. I was pushing more towards the computer because, yeah, the video games were good, but I was also looking at it from an educational standpoint. Right. I, I knew that computers at that time we were talking about uh, about ninety. Yeah. 1990, somewhere in there. And at that time, really personal computers were just kind of coming into their own at that time. Right. And it was getting into a point where you could actually go out and buy a computer. And it was, it might have been a little bit of a stretch as far as your budget goes, but it was something that could be afforded over a period of time. And right. I thought that was something that could be multi-purpose, not just a game, but also a learning experience, something that you could get into. And that's the reason why we got a f- quite a few educational game situations in there for mm-hmm. you, too, because that, that was really a good uh, input for, you know, you and your sister on that to get in and yeah. do some stuff with it and learn things from it, as well as just playing games. Right. Well, and, and I remember I actually really enjoyed I did not enjoy I think it was like Mega Math. But the, there was like a Mega Math and a Super Science that came Turbo together. Science. Turbo Science. That's Turbo it. Science. Turbo Science. Yeah. yeah. 
and it had like a book that came with it and if you needed help in the game it would give you hints like what pages to look at and it would it taught a wide variety of subjects from yeah like, it did have quite a range of animals and and all kinds of stuff in there and it's a pretty fun game i remember enjoying that one quite a bit um but and also i remember that there was probably a little bit of tie-in because i had been typing letters to grandma on the typewriter Mm-hmm. and and kind of starting to learn how to type and i think there was i don't did we have a mavis beacon at home i think we had mavis beacon i think so yeah yeah, yeah. I, so, I barely remember that that's been a yeah, long time ago that was i didn't really get good at keyboarding until i took a class in school yeah. but we we had a little bit so i, I could type yeah um I never got into it when I was younger. I always really avoided that because I was like the the pre-computer era. Right. When when I was going to school, computers were things that, you know, filled up entire warehouses. This mm-hmm. was not something that <laughs> right. anybody had any kind of personal uh, exposure to unless they knew somebody or right. you know, that kind of like somebody that works at IBM. <laughs> right, right. And that was, you know, air-conditioned rooms and huge, great big racks all the way around and maybe one keyboard over on the side and that was, the rest of it was that computer. Right. And it was a huge room, you know. So, no, that was kind of a different situation then. I got in mainly for more like card games and board games and stuff when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, Monopoly and... uh, uh, even Risk when I was a little bit older, but a lot of card games, especially my parents got into a lot with cards. Yeah. They were both avid uh, pinochle players. Okay. And so that's a kind of a difficult game. I guess it's similar. I don't similar think I've ever way. actually played pinochle. You haven't? No, I don't yeah, think that, so. I guess not. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I'd like to get in and play it again. It's been a while, but uh, yeah, I was in the situation where since I, I was an only child at the time. And uh, so... I was caught into a deal where when I was old enough to hold a hand, uh, <laughs> I was I was sat down at the table to play pinochle uh, because they needed a third person. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't play with just the two of them. They needed a third. So I was it. And so it took me a while. I didn't even come close to maybe even winning a hand for, I'd say, a couple of years. but. Uh, I think they yeah, let me long enough and you'll get it right. Like, <laughs> yeah, after a while you get it. And uh, my dad was, Oh, he was ruthless at pinochle. He, <laughs> he really was. Uh, I, I loved, he'd get in there, you know, and we'd deal it up and do our meld and stuff and take points and everything with it. And then he'd be, okay. Uh, I can lose one trick. <laughs> wow and he would play it he would play it out and oh. yeah he'd only lose one trick he'd go okay that's my one trick so i'll take the rest of them <laughs> holy moly so, yeah he played for money there i think at one point too so yeah wow he, would, he played pinochle like you play poker right so well but, and and i know that you also uh, while computing may not have been a very very big thing growing up, I do at least recall bits and pieces that you were pr- into electronics at a very a pretty oh early yeah age. Yeah. Um, I know that you built your first ham radio, correct? Yes. Well, oh. the first thing I built was a ham radio receiver. Okay. That I got as a kit through the mail. When was and that? <clears throat> that was oh my gosh. 
I guess I was about 14. Wow. Yeah, I think I was about 13, 14 years old and uh, had got this ham radio receiver and I would sit there and listen to ham radio operators at night. And I had put up uh, an antenna, which consisted of basically a... uh, a copper wire that was strung across from a tree to a pole. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's awesome. And that was my antenna that I used, but I had done like a V shape so I could pick up some different directions. Wow. And so I did. You... Go ahead. Oh, so you, so you were pretty into it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I had picked up, uh, I think a couple of ham radio operators in, uh, in South America, in Africa, if I'd sit there and, and get late at night when it would uh, the sky right. would clear a little bit and you get a better bounce off the ionosphere, you know, so that you could hear the ham radio signals coming in. But they'd kind of come and go, too. So. Right. But, yeah, I got into that. And I guess I, that was one of my things that I got into. I got into a lot of very strange hobbies as a child. I don't know how my mother ever put up with me for it. Uh, but <laughs> like she did. <clears throat> Uh, well, when I was about 10, I guess I got into, um, taxidermy. Okay. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I've always actually kind of been interested in taxidermy. Yeah. But never really know. Maybe there's something genetic there. (laughs) Maybe so. I don't know. But I guess the thing was, is that she actually allowed me to, uh, to hang a uh, dove that I was doing, uh, the skinning part of it, you know, into order to remove it in her her kitchen on her kitchen sink, you know, and how she was ever able to allow me to do that in her kitchen. I don't know. She, she was very understanding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then, yeah, I did get into electronics. I had looked in and I was wanting to get into computers at an earlier age, but now that was, I'm trying to remember the company that did it. They did a lot of kits and that was where I had got the ham radio kit from, but they did offer, their version of a computer. Now this you're talking about the mid sixties. Yeah. And so that would be much less than a handheld calculator now. Right. But at that time was considered to be a computer, but they actually offered two different versions at the time. They offered either a digital computer or an analog computer. So no, I don't know like how an analog vacuum. computer could work. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I have seen some stuff. They've There are some people who have gone because there were like patents for some things. And there were a couple, I think, that were built that ran off of like punch cards in the same way that like a, a, a like an automatic piano would run off of oh, yeah. like a punch card roller. There were some computers, I think some designs. I, I'm not entirely I don't entirely remember if they had built any fully functioning like large scale ones. But that could hold storage, and could you'd run these just sheets and sheets of punch cards through them to assign bits. Oh, well, that lasted for a long time. That's so lasted- that you could do an analog off of something like that. Yeah, the analog. I was wondering how you could how you could really read it because it'd be like a like a, a meter type situation. It's where you didn't have necessarily a definite yes or a definite no on it. You right. would have some kind of gray area <laughs> in there somehow, maybe part of it, I guess. But yeah, digital definitely won out. <clears throat> but yeah, that uh, really the punch card deal lasted for a long time. When I was in the military uh, in the late '60s, early '70s. Uh, they were fully into punch cards for large IBM computer systems. 
they would load a whole full stack of punch cards and that would be the program that would be wow. running. And it would go in and read all of these punch cards. And then that was either the database that it would work from or the program right. or how it would handle it. And actually, I knew uh, when I was in the Air Force, I knew a man that was in the uh, payroll division and was working on computers and doing punch card sets. And when he left, he had a, a little bit of a, a gripe with uh, his commanding officer there and had left him a present uh, in a stack of punch cards. <laughs> but uh, it was just a, a prank kind of a situation where they would have these uh, like cubicle sets, you know, where you'd have the cubicle walls and you would have a printer on one side or somebody's desk would be in there. And the printer happened to be across the hallway from where his commanding officer had his cubicle. <laughs> and uh, at about a uh, point there when they came up for their monthly payroll set, uh, he came by to visit uh, just as the payroll was beginning to run uh, so he could see the uh, the fruits of his labor on this. And uh, it would hit it hit this particular punch card and immediately got the command to fast forward one box of teletype paper, which at the speed that that ran, shot the teletype paper over the top and onto <laughs> his uh, commanding officer's desk and actually filled up his entire a cubicle <laughs> with paper <laughs> and uh oops, must be a bug oops, i don't yeah, know what happened. happened to be there and so they were told that they needed to find out what was wrong with this program and i think it lasted for two or three months they looked for this uh punch card the one single punch card that was in there and they couldn't oh, find it for a while so <laughs> But yeah, that was that was a little bit in the earlier days of computer stuff going on. Uh, right. You know, the the first I I guess I first computer game I guess I ever really got into. I mean, I'd been into like Pong, right? You know, the first initial Pong that came out. But an actual game that really intrigued me. A friend of mine had gotten a Apple II computer. And they had some of the games like Pong and stuff, and there wasn't really much to it. It was really very simple type situation with just the paddle, two paddles and the ball, and that was it. But this was called, and I and I was looking for it the other day because I knew I, I knew it was there, but I didn't know exactly what it was. I did some uh, uh, research to try to find this out, and it was called Rendezvous. Uh, it was a space shuttle flight simulator. Oh wow! And it was the first. 3D game that I had ever played that had actually three-dimensional, it was a space situation, and you would, it had three different sections to it. You had the initial blast-off, take-off of your rocket mm -hmm. that would come up, and you would have to insert it in orbit and get into the right situation in orbit. But this was all on a very kind of a 2d situation usually right. more like a like a platform game yeah you'd just be looking at it from the side you'd have to get the trajectory right and then you would have be in orbit and you would want to match speeds and orbit with the space station and in this they had a space station kind of like a 2001 space odyssey ring type of oh, space okay. station in it yeah and then you had a dock with the space station and that was all a 3D type 
deal where you had to end up coming out to the hub part of the space station and match velocity and match your rotation with right. that at the space station in order to be able to insert yourself kind of huh. into the docking area. It didn't go over very good with a lot of people, but I loved it. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people just went, this, I can't do this. It's too you know, complicated. It's, it's, yeah, it's way too, it is, you know, yeah. because you're having to work with, you know, three different situations. You had to be perfectly aligned with the center of the station and a perfect rotational speed to match the station. Right. And then you had to just do enough forward thrust to get yourself just into yeah. just a very little bit in order to get in there. And so, uh, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. The, the guy that owned the computer, he never got into it, so he didn't want to <laughs> get into that too much. But I like that a lot. Um. So I know that you – so did you do much in the – because, like, I remember us playing – like, we played a lot of chess. Um, you We played a fair bit of backgammon. I do remember playing some card games. Um. But I remember, I think, most vividly, which I, I suppose, so you had, you had had some experience gaming and playing, like, computer games and things like that. Um, but I suppose it really did probably kind of take off for you as well when we got the computer. Oh, yeah. Because um, yeah. you just had more access sure. then. And um, I don't know. It, it's just, I, it would, I'd be interested in your perspective on some things because I know me seeing it growing up i was pretty young and so that was just kind of the way it was you know right and and, and so but you you kind of came in with a little bit more perspective and seeing kind of how things changed things changed very rapidly in, in through i mean especially through you growing up i guess you know they have for me as well but um like seeing things like i i guess i remember some of my most vivid memories are like uh warcraft and uh descent and um what was what was oh like earth siege oh yeah earth the, siege the, was the really big game yeah yeah i think along with that i think before that they did have some platform games and some really early 3d games you you should remember you remember choplifter choplifter was that that was on the atari though wasn't it i think was so it? yeah, yeah, that was yeah, like yeah. The helicopter would go out and pick people up and you had to watch out and not get shot down and yeah i would i would get in fury because you had to land the <laughs> helicopter you couldn't yeah. just i'd smash that thing into the mm -hmm. ground over and over <laughs> the first the first 3d though i was i realized that i think was that uh one it was called ball blazer it was made by lucas films really and it was like you were on a a field that looked a lot like you're sitting on a chessboard. You had a lot of squares on it. And you were shooting a ball to try to, to get into it, but you were looking out the window and then you had somebody else and you had like a split screen situation on that. Huh. But that was a 3D deal. It was a very simple 3D. You're you know, right. you had a very flat uh, uh, field that you were on, you couldn't see anything, but you had a horizon. You had a definite horizon that you were looking at, and it, you know, for all appearances, this thing was huge. Right. <laughs> you were looking at something that, realistically, if you looked at it like that, it was oh, maybe about a mile across from one side to the other, and you were playing with somebody else, and <laughs> you know, trying to do this. But yeah, that's that was the first time I'd actually where you're actually seeing something 
in a three-dimensional situation. It was very right. simple, but yeah, where you could actually tell that, yeah, you, you could see something over the or coming towards you from the horizon. Right. I guess maybe to bounce back a little, uh, did you really ever get into like arcades or pinball or anything? Uh, not too much. I, I guess the one, well, I guess the first arcade game that I got into was Donkey Kong. Okay. Donkey Kong, I, I got into that one one day in there and I ended up, it was in, uh, in a, what was that? It was in a grocery store, I think. Really? And I had a period of time that I had to waste some time. You know, I was waiting for some stuff to come up. And so I'm going, okay, what am I going to do with this? Um, I just walked into a grocery store and on one side they had a Donkey Kong. So I go, okay, fine. I'll, I'll just kind of spend some time at this. And I guess I spent maybe about an hour at it. And that yeah. got me <laughs> kind of started on Donkey Kong. And uh, yeah, that was the first time I really got into an arcade. Because I, I never really, really liked some of those, like uh, the Space Invaders. Right. I really didn't get into Space Invaders. And uh, there was a couple of others that were pretty popular at that time that just didn't seem to appeal to me too much. Right. Uh, but Donkey Kong really did, I guess, because that was more of a cartoon-looking type of a game. A lot of those yeah. other ones, like Space Invaders, was more of a platform kind of a situation right. that was just basically line drawings of something. Very flat. Very... very flat, very simple. And I really didn't get involved too much with that. Well, and there didn't seem like the objectives always seemed like the difficulty would ramp up too quick. And you knew like I remember Missile Command was one that I always like I kind of liked. But there's just no winning it. You're just going to eventually right. lose. Sure. Like, well, that's still true in a lot of games. That's I mean, true. You never really get to the end of it. It always becomes more and more difficult. Or else, you know, you get to the end of a of a game and then you go, okay, now I guess I got to find another game. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, they're making it a little bit are putting a little bit more into it now to where it's not so well-defined or so simple as it was then. Right. Then it was a little bit more simple that, yeah, everybody knew you'd never get there. Yeah. Yeah. But it's now, just, now they give you just enough. They give you just <laughs> enough to where you go, maybe, maybe I can make it right. this time and I can actually win. You know? <laughs> uh, some of the, I think the one that really kind of caught me, I know you remember it. We spent, you and I both spent a lot of time on it was Wing Commander. Yes. Wing Commander was the first one that had an actual storyline and had actual verbal dialogue. Voice acting. Yeah. Yes. We had, was, we got the version that had, it was Wing Commander 2. No, and Wing it had, Commander 3. Wing Commander that, 2 had a voice pack. I think three. Well, anyway, whichever yeah, one, one of them, two one or of them three. Yeah, we got uh, a couple of them in there. We got all of them eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but the one that, that, yeah, that had the voice in, I think, was three. They had added that in, and that was usually at that time they were very a lot smaller games, and it was all on floppy disk, which they they still called it floppy disk, but that was the little plastic square cartridges yeah it was like the were, three by five discs not the like the five inch floppies were not the floppy. big fives that yeah, were really the little ones yeah right. they were but there was a whole stack of like oh tw- yeah a dozen of these that you mm-hmm. had to load into the computer and in they order took forever to put the program <laughs> but the fact that it did have a dialogue in it and it had a storyline that you worked your way through different missions in there. And, and there were characters like interpersonal relations. And yes. There was drama. And... Right. 
that was the first real game that you know you go hey i can really get into this this you know is, is more than just fighting there was a lot of a lot of flying and shooting and stuff involved with it. But then when you got through with that part, then you came back into the ship and you had more dialogue going on as far as, you know, you go into the next series of it. Oh, we're, you know, we won this battle type of situation. We're moving on into a different star system and. Well, and everybody would kind of drink around the bar sort of thing and talk about, and there was always these little, like, sounds like there's a mole, because how did they know we were here? And Uh there was a lot of kind of treachery and stuff in there. A a real storyline. Yeah. Yeah. That, I love that. That was, that was really something. Um, And that, yeah, that, uh, I, I was really sad to see that one go. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that that was... was the best game that was a, that was the last of the real DOS games. Yes. That was one. It was a very small game, but it ran so smoothly because it, it was really DOS. really did, yeah. It and it was, so, it was strange because there were these weird steps back that DOS, like, I even believe sort of that the ColecoVision had some better games than the Atari. I feel like it had, as far as like visually, it had a lot, like from what I remember, like Atari had a few, but mm-hmm. a lot of the standard Atari games weren't really that good. And, and kind of the same way on PC, when Windows came out, games took a step back because yeah, the did. operating system took system resources. Right. They didn't have enough computing power in the computer in order to be able to run it through Windows and get the same kind of action and reaction time that they had with DOS because DOS right. was so much more simple. It had less steps to go through by a long shot. Windows oh, yeah. had to go through that operating system and they had not made the computer strong enough and fast enough to be able to give you the same kind of gameplay action that you had with DOS. I kind of, I was uh, very disappointed with the Windows games when they first came out. Well, I remember us going back to DOS a lot. We would, you taught me how to boot into DOS because you're like, just, it's just better. Just go through DOS (laughs) if you want to play your games. And you were right. Because I, I like, I remember in Earth Siege, we could not beat the last or like one of the last levels the computer would lock up on. Mm-hmm. And because... there was such a delay between what your action was and what it came out to be on the yeah, screen. Cause our, it was, it was actually stressing our computer. <laughs> oh, very much. So our yeah. computer was, was way beyond its ability by the time we got into that. We hadn't, it's, it's been so strange with computers. Every time I'd buy a computer, it'd be twice as much Ram and twice as much, uh, computer speed and two or three times as much uh hard drive memory oh yeah every time that i change or upgrade right i've done that an awful lot of times a lot of times (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've seen it happen yeah so so wing commander probably one of your favorite series of games that we had growing up there yeah yeah i would say so it was it was interesting. It had it like I said, it had more depth to it. Yeah. Um, I guess the well, next and it one... was the, the the all of the battles were fully three D too. Like I remember yeah. being able to fly, like plugging the joystick into the printer port, and you had you to had, have a joystick. Yeah, you had to. You couldn't. You couldn't if, play it. We could that, play it, but not very well. It, whoever did, bless them, because <laughs> they already had a lot of keyboard controls. They like, really burned out that left side of the keyboard. <laughs> really. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I guess the uh, the next really good one like that 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 I got into was I. Why is it that I get, I like the 3D games, but I know a lot of people just don't get into the 3D. I guess it's as far as as far as spatial orientation goes. Right. That I really enjoyed it because I really got into Homeworld. Yeah, I was going to bring that one up because you've you've been a, ever since the very first one came out, you were. I think I I liked it. I enjoyed it, but I remember you just went went with it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. you were like hey i'm, I'm gonna play homeworld kid get off the computer like <laughs> <laughs> no i wasn't that bad was no, well maybe no. at times i might have it depends it depends like you sure you don't have any homework you, uh... Uh, yeah i know you've got some homework. <laughs> <laughs> you have yeah. some homework get out of here <laughs> yeah i did like homeworld a lot and i know a lot of people would just did not get into it they just did not and it was i know it, I remember it being difficult for me to really get in and because I, I mean, I understood like the 3D spatial of it, but the amount that it changed tactics, because I mean, I liked the real time strategy games, but I know I wasn't necessarily ever good at them. Yeah, I, ch- I cheated at most of them and just played against the computer and I they were flashy and pretty and colorful, but I, I was never really very good at them until later on. Mm-hmm. And Homeworld kind of demanded a lot more from you on the strategic side. You did have to plan a lot more. Well, you kind of got stuck with your resources. Mm-hmm. That was the first one that you really had to had to work the resources uh, because that hadn't really come in too much before. Right. That, a lot know. of earlier RTSs, each mission was still kind of its own level. You had and, and unlimited was, ammo. You had unlimited right. ability to travel from one place to another. But in Homeworld, you also like carried over what you had at the end of one mission is right. what you started the next mission with. Right. And that was that made things a lot more difficult. You could mess up early on and not realize it. Uh huh. And I know then Homeworld Two was was good, but. Actually, you know, I really liked that after they had quit with Homeworld 2 and it had kind of faded out, I guess because the sales weren't really big on it. One guy, I, I take it was one guy, I don't know if it was or not, did a mod on it, a complex mod. Yeah. And that was, to me, he had taken it completely to another level from yeah. Homeworld 2. He'd added in new uh, units in there, new destroyers and battleships, you know, that you could use in it and added in some new dimensions as far as what you could do and how you could go about doing it. So uh, that ha- that was really kind of interesting when the, the complex series right. that came in and they were using the uh, Homeworld uh, basic game and then doing this as just a mod offshoot from it, but adding a lot more to it than a mod usually does. Right. Yeah, a mod usually changes just one or two little things. A, a total overhaul of the game is, it's not unheard of, but it's pretty rare. It's a lot of effort that goes into it. And to do it right, and to do it well, yeah. And, yeah. and have a good experience with it. So, um, I know you also, uh, we played a lot of, uh, I think we started with, I don't know, we may have started. I remember there was, we played Master of Orion, and there was also yeah. Space Empires, I think. Yes. That was Space Empires was it, but it was, in my opinion, it was better. It was, it was better in my opinion too. I mean, everybody really they hyped out uh, the Master of Orion a lot, and Space Empires was a very small uh, group that had done that. 
but to me it was a smoother operator it took the same type of scenario that you had with master of orion but it gave you a little bit better gameplay it was smoother yeah. you had more control over your units that you had and where you could go with it what you could do with it and so yeah i i played the space empires for I remember, a while. like the race builder was so much more complex like in in master orion if you wanted a custom race you had like maybe a couple few check boxes but in in right. space empires there was like it took oh, there like, was a whole list yeah it took 30 40 minutes to track to you had a certain decisions. number of of race points mm -hmm. that you could use and you could only use so many of them so you had a lot of different things like uh you know ability for diplomacy or uh fighting skill or right uh, or planet. how quick their population would grow. Yes. Or... And what type of uh, atmosphere they would work in. Right. And it was so much more things. complex. You had a list of at least maybe 30 or 40 items that you yeah. went through that you could change in there with it, which you didn't have in the Master of Orion. Or at least I don't remember it being that way. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you had a few things, but it yeah. definitely it definitely wasn't. I think that the tech tree was a lot bigger in Space Empires as well, because you could have like early on you had to decide are you going for like organic ships or like high-tech ships or mm -hmm. like low-tech but high weapon like there was a lot of it branched into a few directions that were kind of mutually exclusive because they would go like opposite each other in different directions yeah, yeah. it did offer you it seems to me a lot more possibilities mm -hmm. of thing ways that you could play it uh yeah but that yeah that was in there i know I get in a lot sometimes for, uh, I, recently I've gone in more for um, games that have uh, turn-based games, I guess, yeah. because I don't really have the time to get in there to do a lot of games. I like to be able to step away from it for a while, maybe come back to it yep. uh, and play it that way. And so I haven't got in for the real-time games as much as I used to be and doing more in just, you know, some, like, uh, I don't know, supreme commander sometimes you can yeah. do that you can save that you know yeah, you can you pause can that you know it. yeah um planetary annihilation i like that one planetary annihilation was <laughs> i it was one of those that it, it did it's a shame that it kind of it wasn't it wasn't a very big critical hit but it was it is another one of those it's a complex game that can be kind of difficult to really play but once you get it down, it is very fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can be. Although I, I did, there was, <laughs> I guess that was the one where I guess you could say technically I was cheating, although I really considered it to be, uh, I'm just playing on the same level field that the computer is playing on. Uh -huh. uh, because the computer can make uh, 15 different decisions and uh, uh, make 15 different uh, changes in, okay, this unit go over here and collect resources and this plant, go ahead and make this type of, uh, of Warcraft or right. whatever. And you, oh, this one has to go over here and do some digging to get some resources in. Well, a computer can do all that simultaneously, but when you're sitting there playing it, you're just able to do one thing at a time. Right. So I would say, okay, in order to be on the same playing field, I can play at a high level with the computer, but I, at some point or other, I'm going to get in here and say, I'm going to press the pause button. <laughs> because <laughs> right? then I can go ahead and go, okay, now this is what I want to do. And I mm -hmm. would go ahead and set up half a dozen different units and stuff as far as what they're going to do. And then I could go ahead and, okay, let's start this back up again. Right. 
I don't so, think that's cheating. I think that's I, totally. I, I think so. <laughs> I'm just, like I said, I wanted to have a level playing field here. Right. I got to play on the same kind of speed level that the computer has. It can do it all simultaneously, and I can't. So. Right, yeah. Hey, I mean, if nothing else, you have one mouse. Like. Right, right. You know. I was always kind of curious why... I, 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 I always kind of wondered why there wasn't support for multiple mice on a computer. Like, I always thought, like, you could do a lot more with a left-handed and a right-handed mouse, like having two mouse pointers at once. Like, I, I know it's could. probably not very popular, but it, it's something that always kind of, I was like, I always thought that would be kind of interesting. Well, how there's that not could change things. There's not many ambidextrous people. No. There could be more, though. I bet you just got to offer that reward. You could. Yeah, if you, if you had enough you know, motivation for it, maybe yeah. you'd develop that skill that you hadn't had. Get a had real good for. game where you have two mice. And... Right. <laughs> I like oh, some of others. I mean, we got a StarCraft. StarCraft was kind yeah. of interesting. StarCraft was good. You had, you know, the three different level series on that with the StarCraft, though, with the three species that you were playing with on it. And being able to play, you know, it, they did limit you as far as what you could do with it, but it was right. a lot better action going along with it. I liked XCOM, too. XCOM was a lot of fun. XCOM was pretty good. I, I did not beat XCOM. I got real close. I got clo I got stuck in a spot where I was playing a pretty long game, and I think I was... I'm pretty close to the end. I was on, like, an alien mothership or something, and... <laughs> did not have the loadouts I needed or the right research or something. And I, yeah. there wasn't really any going back and I did, I didn't have a save far enough back that would have, you know, I think the last, the last save that I was going off of was like a week old. And I was like, yeah. I couldn't, I didn't have the heart to. <laughs> Everybody has a game like that, that they just cannot get to the end of it. <laughs> I, I've, I've had one that, uh, yeah, I've played it. I, I keep going back to it occasionally because I keep, thinking that maybe I'm going to be able to beat it, but I just haven't been able to, and I don't. Uh, something in the, in the you know, program itself that throws in different variables every time you go in to play it. And it depends on what the variables are for that particular game and what, kind of like you said, what loadouts you pick up along the way. Right. Is that going to be the right ones to, to beat this game? Right. And you never know until you get to the end of the game. It's it's a a sh shorter kind of a game, but it's a lot more. I don't know. It's completely different. It's done by uh, Invisible Ink. Yeah, yeah. Invisible Ink is like a spy game, and so mm -hmm. you're going in there to, you know, steal from the corporation kind of thing, and you and you pick up new weapons, or you pick up money, and you pick up uh, new uh, mods for. It's like you can make your character or give your character different types of uh, powers or abilities uh, if you get the right, you know, changes in there on it. And you're trying to, to sneak around and uh, you have different ways that you can hide while the guards come by kind of situation. But I've never been able to get <laughs> into, into their, their upper level to beat their upper level. Yeah. I've, I've beaten, you know, the lower and the middle level on it, but uh, the master level, I've never been able to beat that one. They always have uh, too many guards and uh, too few places to hide. Yep. So. Someday. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, I doubt it at this point. I've been playing it too long. Oh. Uh, 
So that's a lot. I mean, you've been enjoying a lot of that. So like you've brought up some more recent games and I I see your Steam thing pop up with like Planetary Annihilation and the more recent Master of Orion and and Invisible Ink that that have kind of come up there as well. I guess um, I'm kind of interested to know like, uh, well, there is one other. So there's one other experience that we got to share uh, pretty recently that I was really excited about, and I was really glad that you had gotten to really experience that version of it, which was when we went down to the VR center. Oh yeah, yeah. I love and, that. To tell you the truth, I like that a lot. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, you know, just overall your thoughts on because I know that's something that I mean, even me growing up like the nintendo virtual there's been a lot of attempts at vr that weren't really mm-hmm. vr and i feel like that was something that it it's getting to the point where it's really starting to feel like vr now oh yeah it is i mean because in that situation well there you had an individual room for each player yeah that made a big difference because yeah. you didn't have to worry about anything else that was around you, really. You had your own room and you had your own space that you were working in. And it was all brought together in the computer, which made it so that you could actually interact with other people on a real-time basis and make it work better. Yeah. You know, I, I hadn't really got into VR at all, but I knew that would probably be a problem for that kind of a situation. You couldn't have more than maybe two people at a time yeah because nobody has that kind of house space <laughs> right yeah and but that that was very nice i i enjoyed that and yeah you're com- it's getting to a point now where your vr is getting so much better and i'm sure it will get even a lot better in the next you know few years and it's going to yeah. be a lot more realistic to where that you're going to be able to do even more with it you're probably going to be getting instead of just a uh uh, like a pistol grip or something that you hold in your hand, you'll be getting full gloves and be able right. to interact on a more, you know, individual fingers, individual and... finger basis and being able to work it that way, getting a lot more tactile connection right. with the game. Getting feedback in now. gloves would be, right. yeah, that would be something to get, not just like, because <laughs> like they have got like the little vibration sensors and something, but mm-hmm. something that offers resistance. Like, like either through like a liquid that kind of hardens when it's electrified or something, or even just like a cable that tenses up. So that way, when you grab something, you feel it stop. Like if you grab a soda can, it's, it resists you. And maybe if you crush it, it's got like getting to that level, which I don't think is, I definitely don't think it's impossible. Like as long as they don't get to the point where it actually hurts. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I don't want to get yeah. shocked when I touch them. No. Although it's probably going to get to that point too for some games. There, there people some people have. There. Some people yeah. have wanted to go there to yeah. amp up the realism. But... No, I think I'll keep it uh, yeah. non-realistic in that sense. <laughs> I don't really ever want to experience a bullet wound, so <laughs> no, no, I, I avoid that at all costs. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of the deal that uh, a guy had gone into surgery at uh, in a hospital, you know, and he'd been shot, and uh, you know, so the first thing that they're doing is, you know, they're working on the ER and stuff and prepping you and everything for it, and they're saying, okay, are you allergic to anything, you know? And he says, yes, I am, and so everybody stops immediately and kind of steps back, you know, okay, what is it? I'm allergic to bullets. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> when you can maintain your sense of humor in that situation, yep, it's really good. Yep. I saw, you know, kind of on the same vein, though, I saw a really interesting use for VR that did involve pain that I was actually really impressed by. And that was in a nurse practitioner's office 
to give shots to kids. Mm -hmm. um, it was a VR game where they needed to be, they were going to go be the hero. And so they had like, it was like five minutes that trained them just how to kind of play the game. They could kind of swing a sword at a target and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe shoot a bow or something. And they said, okay, well, to, you know, the land is under attack by goblins. You're the only person that can save it. But to do that, we have to put, uh, we have to give you the power of the two crystals. And so the nurse is also like, she has like, I think a thing on her wrist or something so that it picks up on her movements. Mm -hmm. And she goes, first, we have to imbue you with the power of the ice crystal. And the nurse hits him with the alcohol prep. Uh -huh. And then they go, now we have to hit you with the fire crystal. And this is going to hurt just a little bit. But once you get this, you will have the power of the true hero. And it'll be done really quickly, we promise. And then uh -huh. they give them, like, the flu shot or whatever. Right. And and they show that the kid can look, and there's, like, a fire crystal that, like, shoosh, like yeah. goes into him and whatnot. And then they get another five or ten minutes where they get to go fight goblins with ice and fire weapons. And, and they have all these powers, so it makes it more powerful. all these powers. <laughs> Hey, that's that's a good idea. I was that like, that's a that's a really well, because there can be a lot of fear and anxiety and stuff like that. And sure. I think that for a little kid, yeah, yeah, having something, even in like in a therapeutic sense, where you know you can know that you're getting a shot, and still it can still help because you're you're tricking the brain out. And right, right. I think that could be really useful in overcoming. Like, like I have a fear of heights and. In in that VR game, we were oh, yeah. know, over a pit and climbing right. over things, and you're you're climbing with handheld handholds, <laughs> like hand over hand kind of situation mm -hmm. across the ceiling, and you look down. And don't, it's look just, down. don't look down. Don't look down. Just keep your eye on the handholds, you know. But being able that. to kind of like stomp my foot in the real world and know, okay, there's still a floor under me. Like yeah, it yeah, kind of bring yeah. me back a little bit, but it it was very immersive, and you kind of lost yourself in it yeah yeah that it, it's getting that way it's getting more and more that way and i'm sure it's going to go to an, a couple more levels to where you may I'm not sure really be able to discern between a virtual reality situation right. and the real thing yeah i think i think that it could be really useful for even things like fears of snakes like this is a computer controlled snake it a hundred percent will not bite you because it is programmed to not bite you. <laughs> like, we gave it a top hat and a mustache. Yeah. Like, okay. That's that's the I same think, snake. I think but if that you don't see that, like, one with a top hat, hey, right. you're in trouble. Yeah, it's a trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like that kind of exposure therapy, like getting to deal with it in that space first a few times until you're comfortable there, then you can kind of go into the real world and try to do some of that stuff. I don't know. I think it could be yeah. really useful. It could be very useful. It could be helpful for people to, you know, deal with situations and not cause a problem, you know, put them into a controlled environment where it makes it easier to go through the motions of a situation and more or less, you know, deaden them to the actual, you know, occurrence itself. Right. You know. Take a lot of that stress and anxiety out and kind of have some ideas about what could happen kind of pre-programmed sure. in. And, yeah. I think they're doing that some with medicine now, the uh, the peanut therapy, the peanut therapy for kids who have uh, peanut allergies. I don't think and I know they're, this. They're giving them very small doses of peanuts and <laughs> working to build up their tolerance to them to where really? they don't have the allergic reactions anymore. Huh. 
And so they're actually using that as a therapy to make your body understand that, hey, this isn't a bad thing. Right. Somehow or other, your body has decided that this is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. To and reject it outright. I'm going, oh, I'm going to reject it outright. I'm, I'm going to shut the whole system down here. Well, you can't really have that because you're trying, it's not really a bad thing. It's just your body thinks that it is. Right. That could be a situation for a lot of different allergic reactions that people have that yeah. is not actually something that, uh, you know, causes a problem for the body. It's just your your body or your mind connected with your body has the feeling that it is. Right. I think that the same way, that same way in the other direction where the mind has established these negative react, these incredible negative reactions to something that may not be negative uh, and, and that can cause anxiety where you're like, I should enjoy this, but I don't. Sure. And being able to provide the brain a safer place to play in that there is something that's control, a controlled element to it. Um, yeah, I think that I hope that it gets used. Like, I mean, games and stuff are great. I love. Oh it. yeah. But but being able to leverage it for, I mean, like you said, the original reason why you really kind of wanted to push for a computer is to get the access to that learning side. Yeah. And I think. Well, that, I knew they were going to be coming into a major portion of society. I knew they were coming into play, and it was going. It was getting better, more and more of them available for people. And I knew it was. I didn't know it was going to get to the point that it is now. Right. Where you have a computer that you hold in your hand that everybody calls a cell phone that's right. you know more, more powerful than any computer that was on the market when we first got our first one. Right. Yeah. yeah for sure. And and, but the, you did have that foresight and. And we're able to kind of say, hey, I mean, you were also just a lot more exposed. So you could probably pick on that up, pick up on that a little bit better where you saw, you know, punch card printers up to I, you did. So I, I do kind of want to touch on this briefly because I don't remember you, exactly the, the ideology behind it. But you had sold kind of like a, a business calculator unit. Yes. What what were those? Well, that was it was a what was a pocket calculator, but it was the only one that I'd ever seen really that had been taken to the la- that level as far as a programmable pocket calculator. Yeah. It was made by Hewlett Packard. Okay. It was a very expensive calculator and it used uh, a machine language program for it, uh, which they, I mean, it's still used a lot in computers. I'm pretty sure it's RPN, uh, language as far as how it would do its calculations right which they that's actually for reverse polish notation on it okay is the way yes. that they call it instead of being you know one plus one equals two it would be one one plus and then that would be you would be putting your uh all of your numerals before the action that you want to do to right them. and the action that you want to do would come if i'm right the way i, I no, used I, that I think that is I, I think like, that's the way it goes i didn't remember rpn but when you said reverse polish notation i something clicked and i was like i yeah. remember this this is where <laughs> you you do math weird and you put all the numbers before the sign like right and and you do it all in a strange way it's almost like you know well it it does make sense after you use it for a while it does, and, and it's it faster because well. you eliminate especially if you're doing simple like uh accounting you can do or com- something you can do complex uh 
um, formulas mm -hmm. with fewer with symbols. Right. You don't have to do as much in there with it. But anyway, this this calculator used it that way, but it also had so many add-ons. It had a magnetic card reader that would snap onto the top of it that you could run little magnetic cards through it in order to do a program on it. You had plug-in memory modules that you could put into it. I think it would hold uh, three or four memory modules. Uh, you could also plug it into a printer and have it print out uh, pretty much like you would have coming out of a, a cash register now that you get as a receipt. It was like a thermal printer uh, that would print it out for you. And so I was using that for doing uh, estimating at the time. And that was something that could be done. It was, like I said, it was fairly expensive. I think the whole unit with the, the modules and the card reader and the, uh, and the uh, printer came out to be, I don't know, eight or $900. And that, wow. was back, that was back in the early 80s. Right. So that was a fair bit more than it is today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a lot more than it was today. It was something, yeah, you'd be buying a pretty big computer for something right. like that now. Uh, but it was, it was a very interesting, I did, a, you know, programs on that with, uh, and able to do a lot of things with it, uh, subroutines, uh, reoccurring subroutines to where I could have it bounce back to just a common subroutine in order to be doing reoccurring calculations on it in and when the you, process of it. When you say you use that for estimating, uh -huh. um, like, in, in what sense? Uh, I was estimating uh, the cost of printing. I was working for a printing company at the time. And I was using that because I was, we're having to go out and do bids for people to say, okay, how much is this job going to cost? Well, I was able to put into and just punch into this as far as doing all of the figuring on it and say how much the paper would cost, how much the, you know, the cost of your supplies that you would put into it, the time it would take to run, how much profit you were looking at making off of this, maybe the difficulty involved with it. Uh, also could, you know, figure in your loss, uh, how much you would, how much of the paper would be lost every time that you would handle it. You would always lose a certain portion when you'd go from one operation to another operation. So, and that's what this would all figure that I could just punch in. This is what you want to do with it. And this is the type of paper, the cost of the paper type of situation. And it would come up with a, a cost for you for 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, you know, and you could put in what kind of volume you were looking at running for this job and it would give you a cost on it and be something that you could so able to pretty quickly. Kind of make sales probably a lot faster that way because yes. you don't have to wait days or weeks to send off your estimate and fill out the form and get it back and then haggle. You could just have that in yes, minutes. and you could, and you could also have somebody who did not have a lot of experience in printing be able to give you a bid uh, that was a good bid. Yeah, you know, without knowing all of the details involved with it, because it would have a lot of that stuff programmed into it. Hmm. So, and did you did you sell? Like, I, I remember you had made. Yeah, like I did a... sell maybe about I think maybe uh, not that many, about twenty of them I think. Nice as a system. And I'd sold them in the Denver area and I think down into Phoenix and a couple of other places. But it was all particularly, it was just for, before they got into doing actual computer programs right. to do this, 
that was about the same time I think they came in with the Macintosh computer, which they didn't have many programs for. They had a computer, right. but they didn't have many programs that would work on it. And you had some some IBM computers around, but those were mainly too big to be using. And nobody was really using them. And science and this was something that was portable. Right. I made a little, actually, a little, almost like a little drawer cabinet uh, wood piece that you mounted the uh, the calculator and the printer onto it, and you could set it on your desk. Yeah. And use it just as kind of like a calculator, but it was basically used just for estimating is all it was used for. That's really cool. I, I remember you had kept one for a long. I know you had sold it a few years yeah. back. Um, but I do remember like that growing up a couple times, just being really intrigued by that. And and it was a it was a hefty it was sturdy, chunky calculator, but it, it was <laughs> yeah, very it was. it was very good. It was very well built. I actually really enjoyed yeah. like the keys were very solid and you know, everything about it seemed very well constructed, that it wasn't yeah, just... Well, well, the calculator, I, I think, itself, just the calculator was about $500. Yeah. And they made that calculator. It was it was tough. Yeah. yeah. You could use... It was that. almost like a con a piece of contracting equipment. Like... Almost. <laughs> yeah. Like something you, they sell now as being like uh, combat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like a combat uh, laptop computer that you... Yeah, you can drop it off of... Uh, off a truck driving at 60 miles an hour mm. down the highway and it's still going to be yeah. usable. It'll be scuffed, but it'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> but it will work. Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything else that you would kind of like to to go through your your history of gaming, your viewpoint, <sighs> anything that Well, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm kind of old school on some stuff. I to me I think the some of the stuff that is the most popular games uh, still is some of the games that I just didn't care for at the very beginning, and that falls into the first-person shooter. Yeah. Uh, to me, <laughs> those games, I never really saw the appeal to that. To me, those games were, they're easy, they're simple in a lot of ways. It, it depends more on hand-eye coordination than anything else. Right. And a lot of people I know get into those games, and they still do. I mean, some of the biggest games on the market right yeah. now is basically the same kind of a, a more intense, more uh, graphically rich environment than the early games like Doom or something. But still, it's just a first-person shooter. Right. And, you know, it's it. that's about all there is to it. And I never understood that for some reason. I got into more a little bit more complex games or something that, you know, I, I've kind of bounced back and forth from one type of game to another type of game, you know, but I've, I've always kind of avoided that. I guess the closest I got into, Oh, what was the name of that one? Uh, Oblivion. Okay. Yeah. 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 That is really kind of like a medieval style situation. Right. It's not a, a, a first person shooter. It's actually, I, you can play it that way if you want to, but it had the option of being able to play it as a third person. Right. Where you're standing behind your character. I kind of like that because then I could see all around me. Mm -hmm. You can see if there's a if there's a bear sneaking up behind you. Right. At least if to get he's a coming second. up behind me, I can turn around and get it. <laughs> right. Uh, which you know, if you're just looking straight ahead, that's all you see, and you're kind of get involved in that you know tunnel vision situation with it, and you forget about a lot of your other surroundings. Yeah. Uh, 
but then again, a lot of people would disagree with that and say, no, I remember where I've been and what's yeah. over here on the side and that I've got my back to the wall or something. Uh, but that was that one, I guess, was a little bit more involved and you could either work it as hand-to-hand -hand combat if you wanted to or you could use spells uh in order to be able to do something at a long distance right or maybe a bow and arrow or something a bow and arrow yeah. Yeah. yeah you could use it that way yeah but i think that was the only one i got into that i liked that was i think because it was able to be used as a third person right instead of the first person on it but the, the shooter games always kind of I guess I never really understood that part of it, why it was so popular with people. Right. I think some of it is the fast-paced action um, yeah. that it can just be. It's not very difficult. There's not a lot to learn. Um, there's some familiarity no matter which one you go to. The rules are, at least the base rules are the same. You, you click right. on people. <laughs> you know you can win it because you know, you've been playing it long enough and you don't have to really think about the... Uh, the buttons on the controller kind right. of situation that all becomes very automatic after a while. And so, you, and it gets faster and faster and faster, which I don't know, can be dangerous to people though, too, yeah. because then yeah. that uh, messes up your thumbs pretty bad. I would think it, over can. Of time. it can, you've got to have good, good rubber pads on your controller and yeah. And yeah. take breaks and, and do stretches and stuff. There's in all things, there's a good way and a poor way to do it. So <laughs> yeah, I guess so. 12 hours, no breaks, drinking only Mountain Dew, probably not good. <laughs> I don't care what you're doing. That's not good. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't matter how you're, you, you can be, be watching sitting there TV. Watch, yeah, just watching TV in your recliner and doing absolutely nothing for 12 hours. And that's pretty bad too. You know, you yeah. got to lay off of those energy drinks. Yeah. I, I definitely keep water handy when I play on the computer now. Cause yeah, yeah. I can't do that much caffeine anymore either. I'll, I'll have a little coffee in the morning and that's about it. But <laughs> yeah, maybe a soda every now and again. But mm -hmm. yeah, but water is good. It fall back on. Yeah, it's a good staple. I'm probably not going to go wrong there. So, all right. Well, um, is there anything else that you'd like to touch on before we hop off of here? Uh, boy, we've touched on an awful lot today. Yeah, There's, yeah, uh, a, good, a good fifty years worth. You know, hey, I I really appreciate it. I really do. I think it's amazing to get that perspective. So, well, it was good being here. I really enjoyed it. All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, I hope to everybody else out there that they've enjoyed. And Dad, I'd just like to say before we go that I really love you, and thank you so much for being here. Hey, I love you too, man. All it's right. been good talking to you. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye. So that's all for our episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a coffee over at ko-fi.com slash P-U-Y-S-Pod. Or just tell a friend about us. It really does make a difference. Uh, all of our links and social accounts are available in the show notes. And if you want to hear more from either of us on topics outside of gaming, Walker's podcast The Walk Show talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests. And my other podcast, Dungeons & Dinners, is where the love of fantasy is food for thought. Mm -hmm.